Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Oh, good morning. <laughs> it's good to, it's good to see you. Um, I don't know if you noticed, the weather has turned. Um, so, yeah, quickly. Like, there's no warning ever, because uh, you, you can't trust the news or the, the weather app because it lies all the time, um, and so you're like, I don't know, is it, is it going to be this cold? And then you wake up, and it's this cold, and you're like, yep, here it is. I, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I love, I love fall, um, but the problem with fall is winter's close behind, um, and my issue with winter isn't, I, I love winter during December and January, some of February. Not January, but but definitely March and April, like the weather should turn back to warm, in my opinion. But God and I have been working on that together. <laughs> he doesn't agree. Uh, anyways, there has been, I, I've noticed, kind of an uptick in, uh, uh, in stress levels and anxiety um, based on the front half of the Buckeye games anymore. Um, Okay, good. Uh, yeah, it makes it makes my like I used to not pay attention to college football at all, and then since I've moved here, you guys have forced my hand, and so now I gauge like how Sunday's gonna go based on Saturday anymore. So, anyways, welcome. Uh, last night um, uh, we did something unique and different. In fact, I I was trying to think. I don't think I have ever participated in something like this, uh, and so. Uh, it was it was fun. We we did a, a block party in my neighborhood, and uh, my uh, our, our neighbors who kind of helped kind of orchestrate this. They they also picked up these uh, these road close signs um, from the city who let us use those to close down like our cul-de-sac part of the road, which was awesome. I'm like this is official, like this is a true block party. We we're closing roads down, and uh, we had tables set up in the middle of the road. Uh, families were invited from all over the neighborhood and we had a fire going cause it got cold. Uh, and it was just, man, it was just a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> Tim and I took on my two oldest in, uh, in basketball, um, and, and lost. Um, so it was humiliating. A lot of excuses. It was dark out. The ball was black. It was slippery. Um, so anyways, uh, we just, we just had a great night. Like it's a reminder of the importance of community. But people don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, like there's not a sense of community. We have more isolation than we have anything else. And so I just, I just want to use this kind of, it's going to uh, pair well with this morning. Um, but I also want to remind you uh, of since January, your assignment. You, you don't remember. So here's your assignment. We started these tables back in January uh, and, and explained why we sit around round tables. And the reason is because we want to create community, a place where you sit and talk and engage and invest in the lives of people in, uh, in church here. Uh, but what we challenged you with is that for, the, for 2023, uh, the rest of the year, that at least once a month that your assignment is to invite someone else to your table not, not this table, but your table at home or out to eat, that you invest in either people here at the church or within your own community or in your workplace, but that we have the heartbeat of compassion and wanting to get to know and invest in other people. And so so that's, that's the challenge, I hope. Maybe you've forgotten about it. This is just a reminder that as we enter into the back half of this year, don't, don't forget to engage and invest in the lives of people. Because it matters. It matters greatly, right? So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Well, 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse from chapter 12. But uh, Hebrews 13, we're going we're gonna to wrap up uh, uh, Hebrews 13 this month. And um, the way I split it up uh, for the rest of the month leaves us with not much to do today. All right, so, so we'll get through these four verses rather rather quickly, but I believe that they're incredibly important. And my hope is that you'll leave here um, thinking about these four verses. Uh, last week, if you were not here, we concluded Hebrews chapter 12, and it concludes in a beautiful way. I want to read it again. Here's what it says, verse 28, chapter 12. Therefore, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now I wanted to highlight this again because I find this verse to be both beautiful and challenging. Here's, here's why. What it says is, we are grateful because we received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What you have received because of what Jesus has done is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, right? Which what gives you this position of gratefulness that causes uh, a lifestyle of offering worship, acceptable worship to God. Now, here's the problem. Although it's beautiful, typical church behavior is We'll sit down and debate verses 28 and 29 on what that looks like in kind of an ethereal way of, man, I want to I be a person who offers acceptable worship to God. How beautiful would that be? And you spend the next hour just discussing kind of what that means. The problem is no one ever goes into chapter 13, which actually defines what that looks like because it's too applicable. So what we would rather do is talk about what we think it looks like instead of actually diving into what it really is. I'm going to give you another example because I know you don't believe me yet. So there's another verse. I didn't give this to them. I'm gonna, just going to read it to you. So just, just drink it in. And, and I want to show, uh, uh, I want you to raise your hands in a moment. So I'm warning you about crowd participation. Um, if you've heard this verse, you ready? Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse. Two verses. <laughs> yeah, right? It's on every t-shirt, coffee cup. It's what we like to talk about because it's ethereal. We can actually start to debate what does it mean to be in the will of God? What is acceptable What's it look like to be a living sacrifice? And it doesn't take much reading to be able to add to that conversation. And so we talk about the mysteries that are in this text because it keeps us distracted from actually doing the application the author gives you and I later. So here's what it says. You don't have to turn there if you, if you want, but it's Romans 12, starting verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here's what happens. We stop at the ethereal so we can stay distracted instead of doing the application the author offers us later. Because this stuff that I just read is difficult. Now, now, know this. Romans chapter 12 comes after Romans chapter 11. 10, 9, 8, 7, all, all of those, okay? There, there is a process that happens. Romans 1 through 11 is probably stacked with some of the greatest theology and doctrine of grace, of the gospel, to show the readers you couldn't do anything to earn the position you have through Jesus, right? So, so Romans 1 through 11 teaches that. So when you get to 12 and you start to see things that you are to do, you aren't to do them because it earns your position in the family. You are to do them in response of the position you've already received in the family. Okay, so, so it matters because you have people who twist it, distort it, and say, if you're not doing these things, and in my Bible it says the headline, marks of a true Christian, if you're not doing these things, then clearly you're not a true Christian. No, 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 no. We will fail a lot of times in trying to accomplish this list. But the doing of this list does not reveal whether we are having a position at the table the doing of this list comes from a grateful heart of a person at the table, okay? So, so with that, we're gonna do the same thing. Go back to, to, uh, 
to Hebrews chapter, chapter 12 and 13. The author finishes in 12 with us offering to God acceptable worship. And so the question that you should ponder in your mind and your heart is what is that? What is acceptable worship? What does it look like? I can tell you a fraction of worship, a very small fraction of worship is what we just got done doing. Singing songs. The praise of our lips. That's a fraction of what worship is. In fact, the better phrasing would be that's worship and song. This would be worship and teaching. Conversations you had earlier would be worship and conversing. Your life, your life should be dictated by a grateful heart and everything that you do offering worship to God. So the author says it this way. Uh, if we move 13 out of the way and just read it as it is, for our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, let brotherly love continue. This seems pretty consistent with what Paul just said in 12. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Verse three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. I said I had four verses. Actually, I only had three verses for you this morning. That's it. Those three verses. And what's crazy is it, it shouldn't take much talking to convince you that brotherly love is important. Hospitality is important. Remembering those who are in prison as if you were with or with them are, is important. Like it shouldn't take much, but we live in a day and age where that's just not the case. We have no idea actually what, what this means. So we're gonna take it apart. You guys ready? Okay, let's see. Verse one says this, let brotherly love continue. This is actually an act of worship. This is our interaction with one another. Brotherly love, don't be like thrown by by this statement. Brotherly love is simply the affection the saints show each other. The, the love that we have for each other. You, you ever on Facebook? You don't want to admit that? Are, are you ever on Facebook and you see some of the hate that's spewed back and forth from people who you think or know or have stated they are Christians? <laughs> this happens. And what's interesting to me is that if we are grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and because we've done that, we are going to offer acceptable worship, and the way the author defines that is worship looks like this. Show great affection towards other saints. Love them well. Isn't it ironic that one of the greatest antithesis to loving people well is gossip. And church seems to be riddled with gossip, yet we're charged with love each other well. It's insane to me. This, this is what happens. Because we have isolated or compartmentalized things in our lives thinking that here's what worship looks like. As long as I just come to church on a Sunday morning and I sing the songs and lift my hands and, and praise uh, the, the, the fruit of my lips, then that is worship. No, no, no. Worship looks like this. How are you loving and engaging the saints, the people who are in the family of God? How are you investing in their hearts? So here's what's crazy. Um, I have the outline for this morning on the front of the stage. Put it there this morning for you. Three points. Prize Jesus, make disciples, and love well. I find it crazy that in Romans and in Hebrews, you find a similar outline. Meaning the first part of 12, when it says that you're grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we've received that kingdom because of Jesus. Therefore, we prize him above everything else because he did something for us we cannot do for ourselves. He becomes our greatest treasure. When Jesus is your greatest treasure, you respond from that. And your response is a out of a grateful heart of, now what can I do to show that he is my greatest treasure? And the author says, here's what you do. You love other people who prize Jesus like you do. And here's what it, I think is so important. 
Biblical discipleship finds its inception and sustenance in brotherly love, and it cannot be done without it. So if you want to know what making disciples looks like. It's not, it's not making converts. It's not preaching so someone who didn't know Jesus now knows Jesus. Making disciples looks like this. Your constant effort to engage and invest and love the hearts of the people in this room. That's what biblical discipleship looks like. What did Jesus do for three years? I mean, he engaged and invested in the hearts of his disciples. He loved them, as he even says, to the fullest extent. Our affection towards each other matters incredibly well. In fact, if we refrain from actively and persistently loving each other well, we are choosing not to worship God the way he has called us to. And you wonder why your life is devoid of vitality. is because you're waiting on people to love you instead of doing the command of loving them. This isn't a call for people to sit here as a victim says, oh, no one appreciates me, no one loves me, no one chases me down, I feel isolated and alone. I get that, that happens. Unfortunately, the mandate for you who are believers in the room is who are you investing in? Who are you engaging in? Who are you chasing down before they leave this room? Who are you, like, do, do you have a hit list? Like, like, like even right now, as I'm saying this, as you survey the room, because some of you, you know, multitask as you're listening, you're looking around. So if you're doing that, you're looking around to see who is it here that you don't know yet, that you need to know, because loving people matters so greatly that it's actually mandated as an act of worship. And the problem is we're refraining from that because we come in and we leave and we go about our day. And I'm saying, if we actually want to have an authentic community of worship, then our mandate is to show great affection towards one another. You want to change the ethos and the culture? This is how you do it, with brotherly affection. Let me show you, in case you don't believe me. If you could turn to John 13, it's going to go up on the screen, in case you don't want to turn there. John 13, uh, most of you should know this. Uh, and in fact, if you go through our linked up class, this is very familiar. Um, John 13, this is where our uh, uh, mission statement on the front of the stage is, is found from, finds its inception. John 13, starting verse 34, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. I wonder what Jesus saw that he felt like he needed to say that. What we do know from the beginning of this chapter is that they sat down to have the Last Supper together. And in sitting down to have the Last Supper together, that the disciples were arguing who was going to sit in the most prominent seats in the room. So they were basically arm wrestling, chasing each other down, saying, no, I deserve to sit next to Jesus. No, you don't. You smell. I deserve. Like they were having this kind of conversation. And, uh, and so Jesus is probably looking around like, man, what's with all the posturing? And I, I wonder, no, I, I don't wonder because I've been around it long enough. What's with all the posturing in churches today? Jesus looks around and he says, um, here's what's important, guys. Here's the commandment I give you. His last words are this, that you are to love each other well. Oh, wait, let me give you a caveat. As I have loved you, love each other that way. <laughs> Listen, there is not a more difficult statement that I can give you here this morning. Challenge, there is nothing more difficult than to love someone the way Jesus loves you. He loves you without condition. He loves you in your moments of betrayal. 
He loves you in your moments of fleeting. He loves you in your moments where you're angry. He loves you consistently and perfectly. And he says, hey, here's the best way to live life. Love the saints the same way. <laughs> Do we have a challenge ever before us? Um, it's partly why things that happen like yesterday are important the women's ministry, and thankful for the team that put this thing together. Had a bunch of women that came together on a Saturday to do a day retreat. To love each other well. And as a woman in this room, if you missed out on that as your family, it's disappointing. Because the important part of this is not what happens here this morning, but it's how you love each other well, engage and invest in each other outside of here. Jesus didn't make this seem like it was an option. In fact, he says, this is your commandment. And it's, it's why we avoid, it's, it's why we avoid these things. Because it's so applicable. We're like, mm, but he doesn't know the people I'm around. Well, I mean, really? Do you think? I don't know. He just washed the feet of Judas who betrayed him before he said the statement. He washed the feet of Peter, who denied him. And he knew that. Like there's, there's something incredible happening here. In fact, I think, I think John was so blown away by it, he gives us something else later. Do you want to see it? Okay, good. First um, John, just go to First John. It's all the way towards, towards the end, right before... Jude and Revelation, 1 John. Well, it's also before 2 John and 3 John too, but either way. 1 John chapter 4. Read you a collection of verses. I'm going to let this sit for a minute because it, it stings. But I think John was so blown away by what Jesus taught at that table that he reminded everyone here. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone, who's does not, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God... Now, now okay, time out. It's important because this verse, God is love, gets used out of context all the time. The context is that John is talking to believers and how we love each other as believers. We'll get to what it means to love those outside of the family. So, so what's important is to understand here that he's specifically talking to us as believers and our affection towards one another. Okay, get it? Here we go. Verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now it's a very important statement saying that it's not about our love for God, which we talk about all the time. Sit around in groups. Oh man, I love God so much today. I didn't love him very much today. Like, that's where we focus. Instead of, his love for me is ever-changing. You know, actually, why I'm even hanging in this thing is because his love is so great. That's, that's the focus. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love him. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The proper sentence, I think, or the way we treat it as believers is, um, if God loved me, then my response is to love him. No, no, no. If God loved you so much, here's your response. Love one another. It's crazy. It's crazy how difficult this is. Ready? Uh, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
By this that we know that we abide in him and he in us because we have give, or because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him, which is beautiful. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, or as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, now, it's one of the hardest sentences here. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. That's drastic. Can you imagine if that actually was believed? I think hate for one another would start to vanquish. If, if, if we actually believed this, that how in the world can I say that I love God who I can't see if I can't love the ones who I can? And so the question that you should... <laughs> I love this table so much. I get... Uh, <laughs> the question you should be asking, is, okay, so what, what does it mean to love each other well? Like, what's that look like? So I have an, I have an easy answer for those of you who have ever married or are married. Is the wedding day the most important part of your marriage? No. Okay, that was, okay, came out of one lady's mouth. I am concerned. No, it's not. Sunday mornings is likened to the wedding day. Celebration, excitement, praising, singing, togetherness. But every day after that, the expectations for the husband and the wife on how they pursue one another, on how they engage one another, on how they invest in each other's souls, like that's the meat and sustenance of the marriage. And so what I'm saying is, great, come for the celebration. This is a great day to celebrate. But what matters in how you love one another is the engagement and in the investing you're doing in the hearts of those in this room beyond today. If anyone says he loves God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our affection towards each other matter more than you can ever fathom or understand. And I will say we have to get better at it. I believe we can. I believe this wasn't meant to guilt or shame us. I believe it was meant to uplift us saying, listen, even if you have not done well at it now, guess what? Now's the time. We got this. We're in this thing together. Isn't it nice to know that you're in this fight with someone else? This is good news. That was the first part. We got verse two. Go back to Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Okay, um, so what's important here is you don't show hospitality to strangers because you might find an angel. Okay, that's not, 
uh, the author is referencing, as he has done frequently throughout the book of Hebrews, he's referencing some encounters of the Old Testament. Probably one in particular, where Abram and Lot had two visitors who they then showed hospitality towards, two strangers, ended up being angels. One, the angel of the Lord, that was the title, which we also know is a theophany, a presence of Jesus or Jesus before he is incarnate. All right, so that happened. So the author's like, hey, when they showed hospitality to strangers, guess who was there? An angel and Jesus. Awesome. We don't show hospitality in hopes that one day we get to see Michael or Gabriel or whoever else. That's not, it's not what is going on. What he's saying here, as you show affection towards one another, as you show affection towards the, the, the family, also, also show hospitality towards those who aren't in the family. Meaning, make sure you're available to engage and invest in even those who are not part of the family of God. Here's what I'll say, and, and I know this is a, this is going to be a drastic statement, and I hope I hope we all um, feel this. If your life is too busy or distracted, too consumed or focused, that when opportunities of hospitality come in play, you have to say no because of how busy you are, you're missing out on a mandated act of worship from God. There should be space in our schedule that allows for spontaneous hospitality because we never know who God is sending our way, who needs to be engaged by his people. Hospitality towards those who do not, who do not yet know Jesus matters so much that listen, the way he designed people to know Jesus is by the gospel being taught, spoken, preached. And how can that be done if we're not allowing moments of hospitality to let people in our lives to be able to share that truth? a Saturday night where there's probably football games or all kinds of other things that you can do and your neighborhood's like, hey, let's shut down the streets for a party. I'm game. Let's do it. We will make it fit our schedule. I think the biggest adversary for us in this room is how busy we are. We get consumed. Your love for your personal family, great. Your love and affection for the saints, great. But there needs to be space. There needs to be space for hospitality for the foreigners, the aliens, the strangers, whatever name you want to call them. There needs to be space for that. In fact, an act of worship is is that very thing. I'll give you one verse. Well, no. One spot, go to Matthew 25. And I'm not going to spend much time here because we did a whole message on this particular text. But either way, I think it's vital. Matthew 25, starting verse 31. It reads this way. Excuse me. Uh, When the Son of Man comes, Jesus, comes in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be the gathered will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, 
and you came to me. Uh, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer. Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will then answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, before I read the next section, I think it's vital that clearly Jesus is setting the stage for people who have approached the church being the people. Naked, hungry, strangers, sick, in prison. And the response from the people was one of compassion that without any questions, fed, clothed, prayed with, helped, engaged in. Not because they thought they were going to do this for Jesus or to Jesus. They didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. They did it because um, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that they received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because they received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, it comes with resources that cannot be shaken. And what they did is because of a grateful heart, they're like, if I see someone who doesn't have something, I'm going to engage in that space because they were grateful. They realized the beautiful realities of Romans 5. That God showed his love for us, that he sent his son, even while we were enemies of God, he sent his son for you and I. So what they've realized, if I have received much in Jesus, I am going to give much. So when they saw someone hurting and broken, they realized that's me hurting and broken. Jesus reached into the depths of my heart and soul and rescued me. So I'm going to be his hands and his feet and reach into the lives of those who I see who are in need and help them. It's a natural response. This is hospitality. This is what we're called to. A church that's close-handed will wither away and die. Or worse, become the main attraction and live their life out in their pompous position. But a church that shows affection for one another but provides space for hospitality for strangers may not expand the numbers and the seats but clearly it seems like they expand the numbers in the kingdom, and I'm about that. The kingdom matters so much more. And if Jesus says this is, this is what he was looking at, it, it matters. So here's what happens with the other group. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, um, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And for I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me and sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also, will also will say, will answer saying, Lord, well, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to, the, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to the eternal punishment, but the righteous to the eternal life. I just find it interesting that one of the last parables that Jesus teaches involves hospitality. Let me ask you a question. For those of you who have been in church for a lengthy time, do you, th do you think the church is strong in hospitality? Uh, do, do, you, do you think we actually engage the least, the lost, and the lowly? 
Because I think that I think that's our our calling and our mandate. In fact, I would say that it's an act of worship. And so the first um, two challenges here this morning before my third one, which will be my conclusion, so we're almost done, um, is that if you want to be responding from a grateful heart, then the first way you respond in an act of worship is love and affection to one another. And the second way is to create space in your life to show hospitality to those who aren't like you in hopes that maybe there's an on-ramp to them knowing who Jesus is. Prize Jesus, make disciples, and love well. I don't know if I ever told you guys corporately, I, I gave this guy, I'm not going to tell you who he is, his last name starts with Vandegrift. <sighs> I, I gave this guy a uh, a paragraph about hey here's 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 like the direction the mission the mission of Crossling paragraph is great it was well written all right as best as I could with Okeechobee high school grammar um, and and I sent it to him he's like man this this is this is good he's like let me, let me do some revisions I'm like whatever so then he then he he sent it back to me with. Six words, six words. Prize Jesus, make disciples, and love well. He's like, I think when I read your paragraph, this is what you're saying. I'm like, Ugh. all that time. And this is so much better, right? And so that's where this was birthed. It's simple. Prize Jesus, make disciples, love well. That will never change. And you see it laced within scriptures, laced within the lifestyle of Jesus that he taught as he was the greatest treasure. He even says, depending on which way you take it, there's this man, he found this field, and that field was a treasure, great treasure. He went out and he sold everything that he had to buy, to buy that field. Because, because the treasure was worth everything. Jesus taught that he was the greatest treasure. And then he walked three years of his life with the disciples to show affection and love to one another matters. In fact, it is the basis of discipleship. And then he calls us as a church to show hospitality, which simply is, let's make space in our lives to love everyone well. So lastly is... Uh, Danielle and Luis make their way up here. Uh, go back to Hebrews. Let me find it. Here we go. This is what it says. And remember those who are in prison. As though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated. Since you are also are in the body. I just, I just want to give you some context for this. For someone who was doing prison stuff for five years. I, I, want, I want to give you some, some context because it's easy. <laughs> it's actually easy for us to ignore the first one, love each other, ignore the second one, but rally people together to do prison ministry. Why? Because it's safe. Well, kind of. A little different, but safe. Go somewhere where you probably will never see the people again and do prison ministry. And I'll tell you this, prison ministry, in my experience, is the easiest ministry to ever do because they're hungry. They ain't got nothing else. That, what do I have? Everything's been taken. And so once they work through the cycle of denial, anger, grief, shame, guilt, to finally get to a place of brokenness of who's going to love me when I'm this. Like, like right there, man. You, you just dive in. And you just say, Jesus, yes. Man, it's easy. You fill the chapel with, with men or women who 
are ready to pursue Jesus because he's the only one who loves them because of everything they've done, at least in their mindset. That's not what's being talked about here. There's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But what's being talked about here is something that you and I, as Americans, have not experienced. Because in the context of Hebrews, if you remember, the author is writing to a group of people who are facing immense amounts of persecution that's causing some to go to prison, some to be mistreated, some to be beaten, some to be isolated. And they're ready to throw in the towel. And so the writer understands what's going on. He says, listen, as you're running for your life, love each other well. I don't got time for that. I'm running. No, no. You, you see, now the context is going to even make this list harder. So it should make it easier for us. As you're running for your life, love each other well. Oh, and make sure, make sure that as you're on the run, being persecuted and chased down, that you make space for hospitality. Okay, uh, time out. What if the one we're showing hospitality to comes in, you know, and is sneaky, slithery, just to find out that we're believers in Jesus to only then go back and tell Rome, hey, we found one, and they come and take us. Sounds like a good reason to not show hospitality. The author says that your mandate is to show hospitality. And then thirdly, he says this. While you're still not in prison, but others are, Remember them as you are with their with as you are there with them. Remember those who are being mistreated right now because of their belief in Jesus. Man, so if there's anything the American church should be good at, it is remembering those across this globe who are being persecuted for the very thing we get to being public about. Remember them. This isn't talking about people going to prison because of crimes they committed. This is talking about people who have faced grave injustices because of their belief in Jesus. Man, it sure does take away or steal from our concepts of, you know, the person at Starbucks not making our drink the way we want it. Having to defriend someone on Facebook because they're getting too crazy and you just can't have them around you anymore. Like the persecutions you and I face here in this world is nothing compared to the church underground in China. Did you know, statistically, that where the church is being persecuted flourishes all the more? Where the church is open and welcomed, loses vitality. So I'm gonna say something. It may make some of you angry. Are you okay with that? You don't have to believe me. I'm just gonna say it. Because <laughs> I, I try to stay away from politics uh, somewhat. But I was talking last night and I, and I do think, I do think we need to remember that Christianity is not American, it's global. And if that's the case, if what it takes for God's church in America to be more effective is more persecution comes our way. So bring it. Hold on. I'm not, I'm not saying, yay. I'm saying, if what it takes for God's church in America to be more effective means it, mean, it needs to come under immense amounts of persecution, then he has a plan. And I would much rather his kingdom expand than my comforts distract me. Now with that, I, I love that we get to do this thing together openly. And, and I would say, let's not wait till we get persecuted to do what it is we're called to do. I believe if the church started to show affection towards one another, hospitality towards strangers and remembering those who are afflicted, then we'll start to see the kingdom advance. We just need to stop being distracted with whatever it is. And I know it's hard. It's probably why 
I can't remember a time Hebrews chapter 13 was ever preached in church. Anyone? I've been, I've been around for a while. Not as long as some of you, but a good while. I've, I've never heard Hebrews chapter 13 preached. And I wonder if it's because it's too applicable. We ignore it. And so as we sing this last song, I guess my challenge to you is, one, do you need to strengthen your showing affection towards one another? Two, do you need to provide space in your schedule to show hospitality? And three, are we too self-consumed? We're not considering those who are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. You should close your eyes for a moment. And I'm gonna ask you to stand as well if you don't. But open your eyes to stand, please. And 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 then close them. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sing this song together. Um, but still to my left and to my right, there'll be people who are willing to pray with you. If you've felt over the years where you haven't been very loving or felt very loved and you just need some prayer to work through that there'll be people up here um, if you struggle in, in one of these concepts we talked about this morning you just want strength and courage and come come pray if you if you just need prayer for something else that's going on in your life we, we just want to provide a space for you to be able to respond it matters to us and so please don't hesitate but if you just want to stand there and worship, I, I pray that as you sing this song, that you know, we truly understand what it means to become the heartbeat in the hands and feet of Jesus. That we allow these things to convict us, not to shame us or guilt us, but to move us to the place where God designs us to be. So I'm going to pray, and then they're going to lead us in the song, and then we will conclude. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, what you do. Forgive us for not latching on to some of these things like we should. Give us strength and courage to plow forward, to keep our, our eyes fixed on your kingdom, that we are grateful for receiving and that we have the opportunity to invite into. Change the way we think, change the way we process, change the way we feel and show compassion. Let us be a church who loves each other so well. It's hospitable to those outside of here and remembers those who are currently, even at this moment, being persecuted because of their belief in you. Let the love you have for us define us and the love that we have for each other begin to change our culture. We love you. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.